มาหาเกียวเจ๊ไทยดับลำปีเมกาOver the next few months, I'm going to be exploring the violent past of Cambodia and asking prominent members of society how the country's dark past has affected their community of practice. And today, I'm going to be exploring the arts. The Cambodian Communist movement won its brutal civil war against a military republic that was a puppet state of the United States. The communists proceeded to establish what they called democratic Kampuchea, one of the bloodiest and most brutal regimes of the 20th century, where a quarter of the country's population lost their lives in less than four years, and which is commonly referred to as the Khmer Rouge regime. They constructed one of the most encompassing and complete totalitarian regimes in human history, controlling all aspects of the people's lives and instigating a system of terror that was both incredibly brutal and ultimately self-destructive. During that regime, there was no space for cultural, personal, or artistic expression other than closely controlled and centrally sanctioned propaganda. Yet before the Khmer Rouge took over. Cambodia had been a thriving hotbed of culture, both retaining their ancient history from the Angorian period of Angkor Wat fame, but also witnessing the rise of a thriving new scene of American-inspired rock and roll, dance, and art. The late 1960s and early 1970s were known as a golden era for the country, and its capital, Phnom Penh, heralded as the Pearl of Asia as a result. So, what became of these varied and diverse art forms after the destruction of the 1970s? How did they survive, and what role do the arts play in Cambodia's post-conflict society today? To begin to answer these questions, I interviewed several people from across the contemporary arts world in Cambodia, starting with Chan Ratna, a Cambodian kickboxing champion and heir to the traditional Cambodian martial art Yutukan Kom. <laughs> So my name is Chandra Ratana. I'm 31. 
I am a gunk, <coughs> professional gunk my fighter, and I'm a must. I'm the master of Selapak Club. Cool. And how how long have you been training in martial arts? So in total, I think he start. So he he start uh, training so the traditional martial arts since his since he came in Phnom Penh. So I think he was like 11, 11 years. He start to train and then he start to fight at seventeen. Wow. Great. And what's the difference between Yucatan Kom and Kun Khmer? But Kun Khom, Kun Khmer, Kokhne Chan, but Kun Khom, mean. So first, the difference Yuta Kun Khom is the traditional martial art. So from Angkor period, and Kun Khmer come just after the French people. Like French people, they bring also like boxing, so they um, create. After that, Khmer create the Khmer boxing like Muay Thai and stuff. So the difference between Yudakun Kham and Kun Khmer is, like in Yudakun Kham, you have more, you have like nine thousand nine hundred fifty different technique. Wow. You have with like, like big knife. You have like knife. You also have some um, ground <laughs> technique, you have the kick and punch. So it's a real mix of everything. You have stand up, underground. Yeah. So more like combat too. Yeah. yeah. And Kun Khmer, it's only like, it's Khmer boxing. So only like with uh, elbow, knee. Yeah, more for yeah. sport. Yeah, one well, is sport and one is traditional martial arts. Mm -hmm. so. And why why preserve the living arts? What What is the value of preserving the living arts of Cambodia? Um, so, like teaching art, there are not so much people that care about that. So we want you to open a place that foreigners and Cambodia can learn traditional martial art and traditional dance. Because actually, like in Cambodia, most of young people are they are more interesting with. Korean dancing and stuff. So we want them to don't forget them, mm. them own art. Mm -hmm. And I guess, um, what is the sort of what's the role of the traditional art in Cambodian society? I guess I'm I, I'm trying to get at like uh, why preserve the the living art? Do you see what I mean? Okay, so it's important to to like to teach it, like to make people don't forget the art because like you like Kham, it's a really really old martial art, like, so it's like more than two thousand years ago now. So also this. Still, some young people are interested in what he was saying, and that they, they love the art still. And there's not a lot of masks, so he's you know, trying to preserve it and try to pass it on to the next generation, to the next generation, so we don't forget about it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You said there's not so many masters. How, how many? You can come. Hello, Mimpinia. 
ปีเนี่ยอ so the the two big uh, master grandmaster actually there are two people so um, one in Bangtimincai Ko Nakri and his father Mm. But actually, Kronakri, we don't know much about him. We don't know where he is, and I think he don't want to go in. Uh, I think he's too old for that. And his father is really sick. So actually, the the only person that represents Yutagun Kham, it's only him now. Mm. Uh, and before, there also one person that represents Yutagun Kham in US. But now he uh, become a monk in Cambodia, so yeah, we have only a Ratana to mm. represent the Gunka. And I'm interested um, because obviously in um, the Pol Pot regime, there's lots of destruction, very um, dis yeah destructive time, and I wonder how that affected uh, Yikten Kom and how. Um, the two masters sort of survived that period. Okay, so in Pot period, so they are not at this time. They didn't. They stopped train. Is it going to come? Because if not, they will kill them. Yeah. So. He, he pretend he doesn't know anything, and yeah. he got captured, and he got sent to. To do some work, right? I think he was saying. Yeah. And so, you know, when they asked, he just pretended he didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. So just had to keep it secret. Yeah. Um, survive and not practice for nearly four years. Yeah. Yeah. Are the crew saying that? Because they, like everyone at this period, so every people that know have knowledge of something, like teacher or singer or. Even martial arts, so everyone that knows something, they kill everyone. And even them more because the problem that if they can teach something to someone, they can teach people how to fight and stuff. Yeah. So all master, traditional martial art master, and so they kill us. So that's why they have to. Yeah, so there were some that were martial artists and they were killed um, and there was only a few that survived. Yeah. So they were seen it's as not just like she was saying, it's, it's not like he was saying that it's just not only they were only killing like martial artists and, mas and masters and stuff. They kill anybody that's educated that can sing, dance and anything. Um, so all other master, most of them there was killed. There's some people that have some knowledge of um, martial art stuff, but not master, but people have knowledge. Some of them die, some of them go to US, French, and they have to go out in the country. But the, so that's why the only two masters that still have it's only his father and So this, this knowledge that is over 2,000 years old um, and has been in part of Khmer culture for a very, very long time was nearly completely eradicated in that time. Yeah. And now Ratana is the, one of the only people still with this knowledge today. Yeah. How do you, um, or how do you plan to pass on the knowledge so that it stays alive after you? He didn't know yet, but the only thing that he's sure is that 
you have to choose that person like very you cannot take any uh, everyone to teach it because normally the youth can come at the beginning you only teach it like father and son or people ah. so now his he can choose any very trust people to teach mm. to teach it to them so he cannot say like okay come and i will teach you that this is like a this is difficult you have to choose the real, the good person mm. so for the moment he didn't have that person yet but it sounds very difficult because because it's very important to keep the knowledge alive yeah. but at the same time very very small number of people with the knowledge yeah. and uh, very much based on trust because there's lots that can go wrong so it's quite precarious and quite difficult to choose the right person and because you only really have one chance there's so much to know so much to teach that you you, you can only really teach one or two people the full amount right so it's very it sounds very difficult and very sort of big responsibility um, what does the, gov the current government think about the martial arts in Cambodia? Do they support Selapak? Do they support other martial arts? Like, nobody is helping every day. Uh, only our sponsor, our, like, so Joe, his um, American guy that opened a foundation for us, so Fight for Cambodia. So only Joe and some people that we found ourselves that's helping us. But this is a little bit hard in Cambodia when you're independent. Like we are independent. When independent club, he opened his own club. So we, every day we are working because the sponsor, everyone we found and we, they help us. But no, from the government or other people in Cambodia, no one is helping. It's interesting because there's a lot of support for, um, you know, like the Cambodian Living Arts Association, for the National Museum, they do lots of Apsara dancing, things like this. And obviously, Yucatan Com is a very old part of Khmer culture as well, but there's not as much support. So, why do you think this is? <laughs> It seemed like they don't care, he said, so mm. even if they do know, so, the few people that in the government, I guess, I know, seems like they don't care, mm. and even, like, she was, she was saying, he was saying that, is that uh, there's people, um, for some reason, just don't know about it. Even though it's an old art, and then you know the the people are in the government or not, that they just don't know about it. Mm. Great shame because the very small amount that I've seen is really strong and um, really, really sort of a, a very good art. And obviously, this club is really, I think, very important for the community. There's lots of people that train here, lots of people who come all the time. Um, so it's a great shame that there's not more support from from government and from other other people as well. He say we have everything like you have the book, you have all paper from the Khan. So if they want to help, we have all the proof that the Khan is the traditional martial art and stuff. But 
every day now for but it's not only from we op since we opened Celapac, it's longer than that. Like even when his father was younger, he, we, he tried, so it, they tried for maybe more than 20 years now to make people recognize it couldn't come. But it's like too much door are closed. But we don't really know why, but too many doors are closed. So it's hard in Cambodia to... I think in Cambodia it's hard when you don't know the good person that can help you, it's hard to open this door. So, mm. yeah, we wait, we're waiting. Um, what do you think the future holds for Yutikankom um, and for martial arts in Cambodia? Apply, Namayakeskoalpiyutkunkom, so right now he has a name, but the more he fights, his name will get bigger and bigger, and then he will be like uh, like a household name, and people will recognize him. And when that happens, he can kind of then use his voice, to, you know, to to mention you know, about the art and everything, and and people probably will listen then. Mm -hmm. Right now, you know, he can talk about it, but some people, you know, he doesn't have that that quite status yet. You know, mm. He's he's well known but not to the point where you know Betty Daddy Yum Chang Mampotku come to one S D. Can I yum minchimal by canons taban one S D Kunyum Chuata this promotion called one F C. You know, if he does really well, you know, it's one of the biggest uh, one of the yeah, one of the biggest MMA promotions, especially in Asia. So if he's you know able to do well people will rec recognize him and then and recognize the martial art. You know, he can tell them. You know, if he gets interviewed and stuff, he can mention. You know, but you have to come from. That was Chan Narottana, the master of Salapak kickboxing gym and sole heir of the traditional Cambodian martial art Yotakan Kom. Kindly translated by his wife Cindy Coupon, an MMA teacher and Fight for Cambodia member Soap Am. 
That was followed by the sound of Ratana training some of his students in the Salapak gym. You can find links to those organisations, and indeed others mentioned in this show, online at facebook.com forward slash beyondyearzero, where you can also subscribe to this podcast. Speaking with Chan Ratana, it was hard not to be struck by the precariousness of the traditional Cambodian martial art Yutakan Kom. Such a huge canon of knowledge with over 9,000 techniques, yet such a small cohort of practitioners that continues to shrink, leaves the survival of this physical art hanging by a thread. Ratana seemed forlorn when talking about his succession plans, and it's easy to understand how difficult it must be to navigate the tension between respecting the traditional form of one-to-one transmission versus the need and desire to ensure the survival of a system that only he knows in totality. A heavy and burdening responsibility indeed. It's quite painful to see the precariousness of such a beautiful and long-lasting art. And it also demonstrates some of the dilemma for the Cambodian experience, in that such a huge, vibrant and dynamic culture can be so threatened in such a short space of time, and that efforts to revive and to retain that culture are receiving very little support or even visibility from the government, from stakeholders, major donors and external parties. It's a great shame and a microcosm of the difficulties that Cambodia has been facing since the end of the Pol Pot regime. After interviewing Ratana, I was interested to find other areas where Cambodians were attempting to preserve, revive or reinvent their culture. So I visited Nowhere Art Gallery, a small community gallery that places a strong emphasis on participation. I met with the gallery's owners and founders, Loli and Ajin, to ask them why they opened a gallery in Phnom Penh and what they hope to achieve in doing so. We realize that Phnom Penh is not the best place to open an art studio uh, compared to other cities in Southeast Asia, for example. Like if you talk about Kuala Lumpur, she was thinking about Chiang Mai, Bangkok, even Saigon. Any other cities in Southeast Asia, the art community is already well developed. Uh, the challenge for Phnom Penh, the fun part in Phnom Penh is to start a new scene, to start it, you know, because no one else is doing it. Over there, it's easy for you to start, but the challenge is for you to be known in a well, you know, in a, in a very active art community in any cities. So, so there's two different challenges, to start it or to compete, in a way. So, I managed to convince her to come to Phnom Penh and uh, start this idea of having like a hub or a center, you know, so then all artists can be nearby, do things together. Stop me if you need to ask <laughs> no, me no, questions. No, no, it's really interesting. <laughs> because, uh, because I could talk. He can talk for forever. <laughs> <laughs> you need to make him stop. Yeah, okay. hard, you need, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you said that you wanted to grow the, uh, grow the art scene in Phnom Penh uh, rather than join a busy scene in Chiang Mai or Hanoi or wherever. Oh, so how is that process going? Is it, do you th- in the two years that you've been running Nowhere, has it, is it growing now? And what's the, what's the state of the scene yeah, today? I think uh, first day when we opened our studio, first time, was it really hard to bring a young Cambodian artist or Cambodian student to in our studio. Uh, that time, even we contact lots of uh, student art student or artists, and then invite them to come over and then talk, or we can sell. They can exp- uh, like display their work, and then we can sell their work. Yeah, we uh, suggested many times, and then try to bring them in our studio. 
very hard. And then, yeah, it was so hard. The first time we, we were really thinking about Cambodian young artists. Uh, we want to support them. We want to show them this. Uh, like we, so we bring lots of design products from Malaysia and Korea. So we see they never saw maybe like a mobile, like paper mobile or the notebook, very like design notebooks or something, design products. But some the people who come to visit our space is like 99% uh, expect. Mm. <laughs> so first was really desperate about why they not coming here. We want to support them. Why they they do not even we invite them? Why they do not coming? So but that time and then I kind of realized that Cambodian people do not understand who we are. So we are, they thinking the art like gallery is very expensive, more than $1,000 artwork on the, like with the frame. They think it's art, but from outside, even they do not come in. So I, yeah, we realized that they still not yet. That time we feel uh, it's a, the time is not yet for them to accept, accept the art studio, like kind of our space. But yeah, it's, it's true. Like for expat, uh, people seen this kind of what we do is normal in other countries mm. like Western world. So it's easier for the expat community to straight away accept and understand who we are, what mm -hmm. we do, and so on. You know, but for them, they never seen this kind of uh, art studio that provide workshops. Uh, do events and, uh... and even we provided a uh, like workshop half price or student price or the Khmer price we set up. It's very hard to bring them. So you you're saying um, that you wanted to grow the scene here and that originally people didn't uh, the Khmer people didn't really understand what type of space this was. Do you feel like there's more understanding now that nowhere's more accepted now, or is it still a slow process? I, yeah, I think. Uh, so far, like Khmer, Khmer is not coming, but like international kids. school, like kids, they are coming, start to coming. So hopefully yeah. after them, like other people also easy to come. It's interesting because I, I came to the screening, um, so it's Art Talks is the series, and I went to the screening with Christopher Rompre's film uh, about Van Molivan, the man who built Cambodia. And one thing that I was really impressed with at that screening was I was expecting it to be all expats, but actually there was a lot of young Khmer students yeah. at that screening. And I just think that that's a, that's a really good way of doing things, but also something that I haven't seen in some other places, that some places don't really think about it. So I wonder what your sort of plans are for increasing that, and how, how are you going to continue to encourage more Khmer people to get involved? Uh, this is something that we ask, and we ask other people as well, how they... Uh, at first, we, a little bit... When we started, it was our goal, and then we get tired of it and then we say okay just let's focus on our work and just keep doing you know uh, because of if you keep on trying keep on trying as well if they don't want you cannot force them you know so we uh, kind of stop focusing on the Khmer kids uh, Khmer youth so we more on just do our own thing you know like our own stuff but then uh, uh, the start maybe again recently because of the Inktober we see a lot of huge response uh, 
and in a way you just need to create a programs that are more interesting for them that's it you know mm. that's it you what interesting to them this is what you need to find out yeah. you know <laughs> you 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 cannot say yeah you just have to try you know you have yeah. to try like inktober for inktober we realize it's kind of hype because it's never been done before in cambodia but worldwide everybody is doing yeah exactly so it's kind of hype for them you know so a lot yeah, of yeah. these kids which we didn't expect yeah. <laughs> and it ties into that international aspect yeah. that you're saying as well because if they're studying in international schools yeah. and colleges and universities and you know having exposure to these other kind of as you say international yeah. um, principles then they can kind of get involved and, and feel part of something bigger I suppose yeah. but I wonder what do you think the connection is, or is there a connection between um, the way that Cambodian youth express themselves and the political situation here? Because often in countries where the politics are quite, uh, you know, difficult, um, art is usually a means of expression for for dissent, but also criticism or, or you know, trying to improve the situation. Is do you find that happening here? Mm, I've seen recently a video about. Uh, the human of New York but the, the series was about for, forgiveness you know so they say uh, usually people will forget after one year two years people will forget about some mistake or some something even like war like you we forget about World War two we forget about this and that so for the new generation they don't know about the past or they cannot really relate to the war you know of their dark history so I feel the kids doesn't really feel so affected by the political situation in Cambodia or the past. Uh, maybe I've seen some of the activists in Cambodia, which is very, very hard to find because of the you know, political situation. So most of them are 35 years old and above. They more, more, They could feel it, they could really connect to the past. The kids here, I don't think they are connected to the politics even if they even if they feel uh, what do you call uh, the, the 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 unfairness of the politics in the country they feel that is their is not their problem or it's not their uh, what do you call it's not their site to say anything about it you know because they still have a lot of other issues that are more important for them to handle or mm. to you know financially work and blah 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 you know so there's so many things that more important for them rather than the politics so that's why I think uh, there is no like uh, art activities uh, art activists in uh, Cambodia by the young Cambodians I know there's one I heard about this uh, young uh, uh, not young like a like a poetry guy like a poet on Facebook on social media but I don't remember his name he just posts on uh, Facebook about poem and he draws it but he stays anonymous mm, interesting yeah I write in Phnom Penh post so even the Phnom Penh post found this guy through like words of mouth and even on the article it doesn't mention the name and doesn't mm. mention the age as well uh, but only mention the gender. It's a male working in the farm outside mm. of Phnom Penh. Yeah. So he wants to be like completely anonymous. Yeah. Because of the you know they don't want to be. Yeah. 
so yeah they don't want to kind of attract too much attention to yeah. themselves but a lot of people say this uh, poet is very uh, is very good in terms of the old traditional uh, Khmer style uh, poetry oh really okay yeah because a lot of like uh, uh, like uh, what do you call uh, academician like Khmer literature say like he has like a very good style you know mm. yeah. but he has like when the article says he has no education background he's just really yeah that's so interesting and I wonder what do you think the future looks like for the Cambodian art scene mm. for me is <laughs> yeah we see the 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 kids around like uh, uh, 21 once they graduate they come back they will be the one that uh, starting it you know but we hope just to be here to show that it's possible mm. you know not to yeah hopefully to inspire and all this but just to show that it's possible to be a uh, full-time artist to do your own thing and yeah to survive or to live you know uh, doing art. The only Cambodian artist that you know, I'm not, um, I'm not an expert in in the scene or anything like this. And the only Cambodian artist that I've come across before, um, you know, when I was living in the UK, were ones that had um, the the two. I can't remember the names of the two guys who were painting uh, the tool slang. Um, you know what was happening in Tool Slang and S21. So the guys who were painting the torture scenes, basically. You know these these paintings. Um, they're quite famous, and I just wonder if the arts is an opportunity for Cambodians to to move on from that period. Because mm. you know you said that a lot of the kids they kind of they have other concerns. They are worried about different things. They want to express themselves in different ways. So I wonder maybe what your opinion is on the power of art to help sort of move the country beyond that difficult period and into a more bright future? Like, we always try not to be NGO or tr try not to say that we are here to save you, you know? So, so this is, we always clear from the beginning, we're not to help anyone beside ourselves, you know, this way. So, and I read a lot of articles about NGOs and about a really good article, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago about one uh, NGO founder, uh, he, she created this uh, big uh, organization, NGO, but eventually she feels that the, the rules of changing the Cambodian minds is, uh, is lies on their own people, you know, they should, they should what do you call, uh, make the way they should shape the, how the change is, you know. We cannot say that, okay, this is how you should do, this is how you should do, you know. We, sh for us, we are here just to do our own thing. Yeah, That's just it. be good with neighbors. Yeah. For us, I, I really strongly believe Cambodians should make their own ways. Trying to, uh, like one artist I follow, she's here, uh, but now they're doing some shooting in Turkey, so I've been following them project in Turkey as well. So she said that uh, she wrote in her Facebook saying that we should not be just a uh, uh, proud son and daughters of Uncle Wat, which is hundred uh, thousand years ago. You know, we should be proud of Cambodia now. Things like this, you know. So you see, they are inside. They want to do something that they want to be proud as Cambodian today, not Cambodian thousand years ago. You know. So how they shape it is uh, up to them. You know. Yeah, yeah.
That was Lolly and Ajin of the excellent Nowhere Gallery in Phnom Penh, followed by the sounds of the infamous Kampot dogs. I felt quite conflicted after speaking with Lolly and Ajin. On the one hand, they have a point that many people in Cambodia today have more immediate worries than the wars of the past and the conflict and strife that their parents and grandparents faced under the Khmer Rouge. Perhaps it is a privileged undertaking to worry about the specifics of a regime that ended almost 40 years ago, rather than the concerns of food, shelter, and work in the present. But on the other hand, I couldn't help feeling that perhaps that insight only applies so far. The echoes of the regime permeate throughout Cambodian society, and by their own admission, the gallery's clientele mainly consists of expats and students of international schools from the Khmer middle class. Had this coloured their view that the Cambodian youth aren't concerned with politics because the gallery's main patrons were those least affected by the current government's sharpest edges? And do Cambodians have the political space to truly explore their past, scrutinise their present, and propose ambitious new visions for the future through the arts? In either case, a key take-home was the desire of many Cambodians to build anew and to create a contemporary and current culture, whether in relation to the past or moving on from it. To explore this dynamic further, I spoke with Arn Chorn Pond, the founder and head of the Cambodian Living Arts, a prominent NGO and cultural foundation that both preserves the traditional Cambodian arts and also promotes and supports opportunities for Cambodian artists and performers. I started by asking Arn why he set up the Cambodian Living Arts and how he thinks the past has influenced his work. Uh, like for me, you know, my parents owned an opera company in 1975, uh, you know, before, uh, from, from generation and generations, uh, I didn't even know of how many generations they owned an opera company in Battambang province, you know, a province nearby Thailand where I grew up. And in 1974, I, uh, you know, I, I had a, a, I knew my family a little bit only one year. One year in 1974, when they were still rock and roll, and still, still, uh, you know, I was sent to the to 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 uh, the temple to to uh, respect Buddhist monks and music and food everywhere. You know, like of Sinsisamut of Rosaraisatia, and that's where I grew up. You know, uh, uh, dancing to uh, to to pop pop song. You know, to hip hop or to pop that time, uh, rock and roll, I should say. Yeah. And. Uh, and that and that that's all I knew. And then when the Khmer Rouge came in, I was I was just twelve years old, and like everyone else, I was forced into the temple where the uh, seven hundred children were forced to live and to die there. And uh, we were not prisoners, but we were forced there to work and to starve, to, like everyone else. And I was forced by the Khmer Rouge also to uh, play music, propaganda music for them. That's probably one of the reason I how I survived because I learned, I've learned. Uh, very fast. I learned faster than many other kids that some kids were slow to learn the instruments. They were like traditional instruments, but they they were asking us to play uh, revolutionary songs, like you know the s- songs that glorifying blood and hatred against Americans. I didn't even know what Americans looked like. I never met one. So it's all of that that I uh, I've learned how to. I, I was faster than anyone else than any other kids, and how I survived. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, when, when the Vietnamese invaded in 1979, I was also forced to, they took my instruments away. Uh, they were forcing me to uh, carry guns and fight in the 
full, you know, full-blown war with Vietnam, and uh, um, was lucky again to survive there and run into the jungle by myself. And I, and that's where I was found by an American family, uh, American man, his name Peter Pond, who adopted me to America in 1980, and that's where I settled for 20 years, going to high school there. And then I had no, I, I had a lot of problems in America, also trying to find my identity. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know whether, whether I didn't feel like whether I'm American or Cambodian, you know, I, yeah. I lost all of my identity and then I was in a deep depression and I was, a, I was suicidal uh, in America because I was confused and angry and many, and kids in high school, in college is making fun of me about being a monkey and, you know, do not, do not, uh, they're not assimilated well because they didn't even know where the, the hell I, I just came from, you know? Yeah. That's how I think the past had influenced me. And when I returned for, you know, when I returned uh, 20 years ago for the first time to Bong, I found out that um, many members, like almost 35 immediate members of my family died. And I found out that uh, why they, they were targeted because they they own an opera company. Mm. My parents, my, my mom was an actress. My dad was an, a good actor. And he uh, he would sing. He would do like everyone else, singing rock and roll and loving what 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 is the what the West was, you know. And uh, that's that's the cause of their lives, like everyone else. And then, um, and then I found out that 90% of all the artists, of all performers in the whole country died. 90%. Wow. So I came back later on. I went back to America and stopped sharing my story to American people, to, to American kids, especially American children. I started talking about my life in, in the Khmer Rouge in the hope to heal myself. And eventually I did because I learned for the first time how to cry and I play my music again for the, for the not, not propaganda song, but I learned how to play traditional Khmer music again. Uh, in, in addition to my talk to American public, I began to open and heal myself for over, over 15 years. And uh, so all those things that I came and then right away in 1998, uh, getting some money from the speaking engagement I do in America, uh, and in result, I connect the past and the present and looking up, looking for the future, which is in 1998, Cambodian Living Arts uh, started it here, uh, where I only, uh, in Phnom Penh, I uh, try to find the people who I heard in the radio in 1974, before the Khmer Rouge came in, you know, like this woman who, who's one of the greatest, probably the last opera singer, everybody knew her, like, like Rosa Reisatia or Sinsi Samut, you know? Yeah. This woman called uh, Jake Mike, who is probably a, also la, the greatest last singer, opera, opera singer, uh, her name Jake Mike, and I found her on the street. 
in Phnom Penh living like in fear. She was disoriented, you know. She, mm-hmm. she thought that, that that war had never ended it yet. Or the Khmer Rouge, when I found her, she was really sick and nobody knew her. And uh, so I found her and few other other like household names, like this guy would be the, the king of woodwinds. And, and the other one, was would be the king of uh, the instrument that I never heard of. You know, the instrument of the heart. We call it uh, we call it excitedio uh, and prokmai that survived. And and most of them, when I found them in 1998, they were drunk on the street because they 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 they, they didn't have any job. They were just living on the street. So there was a good time, a good time for all of us to meet again and to continue a full circle in my life. So I happened to make some money from America. So you know, a little money over there goes so far here. So uh, that's how Cambodian living art started with few masters uh, of all of different art form. And I found kids on the street in the slum. You know, we started class without wall. We found young women who otherwise would be prostitute themselves in and taking drugs in the area to play music. So um, uh, just one-to-one, one master, one student, that's how it's been passed on, uh, you know, the arts of my country. Uh, if, one, if the master died, he would, take, he would take everything with them. So there were no sort of like, you know, teaching, uh, you know, calligraphy or, 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 or writing notes or anything. But if there's written notes, the Khmer Rouge burned it all. So uh, we have nothing left but the mass few masters. So that's how we started 15 years ago. Now it's different. That's an you incredible know? story, on, and I really appreciate your your honesty and um, you know being able to share what must be very very difficult memories um, with me and with others. So thank you so much for that. Why do you think it was that the Khmer Rouge targeted artists? Because you know you spoke about Sinsitamutan Rosaratia and you know these famous artists. Um, and I've only recently started to discover them, and it's absolutely incredible culture, very, very vibrant in, in the late 60s and early 70s, and yet yes. got completely wiped away. So why do you think that they were so opposed to arts and artists? Uh, I do not know in theory why they, they don't like or they hate it until they kill everybody who's, who sings. Mostly they sing love songs. All I know, because they are Rosaliceteer, Sinsis Mood, and a group of people who really changed, who really started some some other there's something new, some phenomenon, uh, some new phenomenon in the '60s, which influenced by the West, of course, but they also started their own thing. Yeah. They they uh, they create their own song, they create their own time that related to their own time, and mostly love. Beautiful love that they create, they, 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 they speak about, they sing about, they meet each other about, and learning how to, why, why those masters love the thing they do. It's not the money that they do. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure for that, about that. It's, it's an expression from the core of their being. Yeah. Being artists, when they sing, when they dance, it's, it's from their core of their being. 
and and they want to tell how they feel, how they whether they're happy or they're sad or they're angry. They do it through the art, which is non-violent, in my opinion. But one thing I know, I know this of is that the art, this this power in it, that that when you sing, when you perform, people seem to come. People seem to draw people, seem to have a lot of power that you didn't even know of. Uh, that is probably why the, the Khmer Rouge or other groups of people who hated uh, the artists because they hold something in, in their being. That's not the only thing, probably. Uh, probably the, uh, also the struggle between the ideology. You know, the, uh, the, the politicians are always uh, looking for 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 you know for benefit for, for they, I, I should say many politicians in my opinions greed uh, become greed for power or for money or for anything so they they are they are um, if somebody is, is for them and give them a lot of money and they they are they being bought uh, so I told you that Cambodian being being used being a pawn of the of, of the of the big big countries war you know and we, yeah. we, were, we were not making our own guns you know uh, Cambodia we, we just produce art uh, in the past thousand years and why so much suffering here why so much uh, killing here because the guns we the children were carried like myself when I was a child the guns that we were carried made from China from Russia and from America especially so so those are the, the things that they, and they, those Khmer Rouge are, it's like the ideology of like hating America, hating the West, because they were communists. They, they were pro-Chinese, uh, the Chinese was at their side, and they are pro-communists, uh, for example. So, so it's more the I ideology for me, so it's a combined ideology, and, and also find out that the art is so powerful to get people together, uh, and so they, they uh, all combined. And also, you know, uh, many, many people hated each other, hated America when American bombed Cambodia. Uh, you know, B-52 yeah. bombed here. So many bombs were dropped here. So the Khmer Rouge definitely uses that uses that to, to get more people to get angry at Americans. So the anger has started then, before even they took over. Yeah. That's, so um, as soon as they took over, anybody who's pro-American, anybody who, who sing American song, like my aunt, whether love song or not love song, they don't, they doesn't matter to them. One of my questions was, um, what do you think the role of the arts in Cambodia is today? And if it's, it sounds to me like two of the things you have said are that it helps to rediscover and be proud of Khmer identity and Khmer sort of um, culture, but also that it helps to build peace and to uh, keep, you know, keep peace in a place that has suffered so much war and so much suffering. So is, is that um, what you think the role of the arts is in Cambodia today? I think it is. I think the power that music that I've learned, uh, I am now more and more, I learn how to sing myself. I learn how to, uh, I, I, I played, I have been playing the flute again. I played the dulcimer again, you know, the Kim that the Khmer Rouge taught. Very, very proud that I can give some, some of this hope and, 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 and for, the, uh, for this master before they die, just to respect uh, them. And also just for, to make sure they witnesses that his art, their art would not be lost. 
that it will pass on to the next generation and the next generation now becoming like the most powerful probably you can be is that they they are now become innovator and the new uh, creators of new arts that fit into their time and move on into the future that this young master this young master having dreams finally having dream to do something for themselves and they are so eager to tell the world to to their one of their dream is to travel the world uh, like me to say I'm I'm going to tell the world about Cambodia not only the the the, the Angkor Wat but not only the, the definitely not only about the Khmer Rouge but about me about how I am creating new things for my country and about uh, you know about the art that are now likely in, at least in Phnom Penh, but also we have classes in ten other provinces. You know. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, I was speaking to Chan Ratana, who is um, a Khmer Khun fighter, and um, one thing that struck me was that when I spoke to him, it seemed very. Um, precarious and very, very risky because if one person doesn't survive or if they're not able to pass on the, the, the art, whether that's martial arts or music or poetry or anything else, then there's a big risk that it can be lost. But the way, but speaking with you, the way that, um, that I feel about it at the moment is that, you know, this was the most extreme situation that, that anyone you know any country has been through and yet the art still survived and it's still living today thanks to people like you and organizations like Cambodia Living Arts so on the one hand there is risk that it's it gets lost but on the other hand there's a great resilience to the art um, that's been shown in Cambodia and also through organizations like Cambodia Living Arts so I don't know if you have any any comments on that no, I, I think it's in the blood. Like I told you, it's in the blood of people, not only with Cambodia. Cambodia started uh, very nicely early a thousand years, like any other country, you know, a thousand years ago, something human, human around the world have done some great thing, you know, building Angkor Wat, building uh, a cathedral of uh, Notre Dame, many other great things. It seemed to be like something right in that century, right? And they're not only they're creating a, a monumental uh, temple, but the ordinary life, the, the music, the food, the clothing, everything that disappeared over time with the masters, like this, like, like the art. Mostly I learned from that time that the arts of Cambodia are very unique. Also, many, many arts form taught you. They only express uh, how the, uh, the earth was born, how they, they're imitating trees, imitating birds, imitating what we sh the human being should be grateful to the environment, and we should love each other and love our nature. So that's what I love about, uh, you know, all the art from the past. Not merely just, like I tell you, merely just selling, selling brand, you know, like, like, very, very, uh, very, very shallow, right? S selling, maybe, you know, sometimes they're selling a pair of jeans and all that. So that's where our art now, if we're not careful in teaching our children that the art is the core of our spine, it's the roof of our soul. It's not just merely selling, it's not merely money for money, you know? Yeah. And so that this is pow power in the art that it's proven 
that not only heal me, not only heal the master, not only heal the young people now that we are, we are, we are the young master now that we have, it's, it's also the art really help them to, to become creative. It helps them to have their dreams. That's how powerful the art is, to, to have the, the whole human, human being to, be, to have dreams through the art, you know? Otherwise, they just merely sit breathing, but without a soul. Why are we not paying attention to that? Why are we not giving money to the arts and to the education? So uh, maybe uh, so many, 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 many leaders, including my leaders, uh, have some agendas, different agendas from what we're talking about here. Do you feel like uh, the Cambodia Living Arts in particularly, and also the Cambodian arts in general, gets enough support from the current government? <laughs> no, why are you asking me here in Cambodia like that? <laughs> we we do, we they, we don't get any money. We don't get any money from them. Even 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 I heard always complain from the ministry that we are. We are partnership with, I'm, I'm happy to tell you this, we are, the, 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 the memo of understanding is that uh, within five years, if these arts and the culture would be in the school system all over Cambodia, which is not only in the paper, but really to have art and music class, painting and everything on paper and in reality. Uh, so if this five years, uh, we found already a quarter million dollar Cambodian living art in doing the, this work. And whether it work it or not, it's no brainer. It's going to work. You know, I mean, yeah. every, every, a lot of country, a lot of country in the world have done this. I mean, considering Japanese, it's just an island and it's, it, the number is like 99% of their children are now in school. 99%. And, and Cambodia now school in Cambodia, uh, around Cambodia is only half day school, you know, mm. only half day time. They only go half day. And um, they told me earlier that there is a curriculum, an art curriculum in school. But there were no, like, like you know, we all know, there were no practical, there were no, um, you know, no reality. So, so we are in, in a half year close to a year now, this experimental project that we are doing with the government, with the, with the two ministries. So I'm very happy that this, at least partnership, if there's no support. And in the future, they said, okay, it's gonna work. Within five years, they said, okay, Cambodian Living Art, and we, are, we hope we can ask the government and we can ask UNESCO to help us fundraise, which is we probably go to need, need not only a quarter million dollars, but will be 15 to 20, 25 million that we are going to ask the government to be serious about really education and the arts, because the arts and education has proven that our children will become innovative and creative.
Wow, what an incredible story, and what an inspiring individual as well. That was Arn Chorn Pond of the Cambodian Living Arts Foundation, followed by the sounds of a blind beggar skirting the periphery of the Russian market in Phnom Penh. What struck me most about talking with Arn was the depth and complexity of the role he saw for the arts in Cambodia today, and his dexterity and eloquence in expressing it. Far too often dismissed as a superfluous or flighty pursuit, Arne gave a compelling and persuasive vision for how the arts not only helped to build identity, culture and community in the aftermath of turmoil and violence, but that the arts are actually also a powerful means of organising against and resisting that violence in the first place. He recognises a power and strength in the arts that is too often overlooked and which is borne out in his own story of survival, from child soldier and refugee to an internationally recognised community leader who is having a real and lasting impact on his society through, for example, influencing the reform of education policy in Cambodia. The resilience of the arts also forms a, the core of Arne's story. It's absolutely right to mourn the loss of so much vibrant culture during the Khmer Rouge regime and to recognize the precariousness of much of what has survived. But the very fact that these arts have survived, not only through the horrors of genocide and war, but also through the sands of centuries of time too, demonstrates the perseverance and ongoing durability of the human spirit. If Arne is right that the arts form the core of our spine and the roof of our soul, then we can all take solace and strength from how the arts in Cambodia have risen from the brink of extinction to a flourishing hotbed of revival, community, and of rebuilding identity. That's all we've got time for, folks. I hope you've enjoyed the inaugural episode of Beyond Year Zero and that you'll like the page at facebook.com forward slash beyond year zero and subscribe to the podcast through SoundCloud or iTunes. Join me next time as I explore the impacts of the Khmer Rouge regime on issues of gender and how this has affected women and men in Cambodian society today. Until then, thank you very much, good luck and see you next time. Oh, no, but I'm going to